We're going to start a new series tonight, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to march through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you've never been on a Wednesday night before, let me just share with you. Wednesday nights are a little bit different than Sundays uh, from two main perspectives. Now, there's uh, several minor perspectives, but two main ones. Uh, the main ones are, on Sundays, we pick a, a topical series, if you will, and, and we uh, hit that series from a bunch of different angles in the Bible. Um, in, on Wednesdays, however, we do it, um, a, uh, a book series. So we'll pick a book out of the Bible, and then we'll just march through that book. So if you came to church every Wednesday last year, you went through, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to remember them all, but I'm just going to, just off the top of my head, um, Philippians, Hebrews, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, we went through First Timothy, um, we danced a little bit in First uh, Corinthians, uh, we went through Philemon, um, we went through, did I already say Ephesians? We went through Ephesians, we went through Galatians. We went through, let's just stop there before I start lying. Um, we went through nine books of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter. At the end of going through nine books of the Bible, whether you realize it or not, your faith Amen. has increased. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Do you know that Jesus walked into a town and he wanted to do miracles, but the faith level was so low he couldn't, and so he had to leave. And so in this day and age, that same principle applies. Oftentimes, he wants to do a miracle, but our faith level is so low that he can't do it. It's, it's kind of like, I want to make a fire, but there's no wood. Um, and so when you come on Wednesday, we go line by line. We're able to build your faith line by line that way. The second major uh, difference on a Wednesday night is the fact that teenagers are meeting down the hall. Junior high, senior high are meeting down the hall. Now, why is that important to us? Well, here's the thing. Uh, if you have teenagers down that hall, uh, you just need to know that there is going to be a day when your son or your daughter, your nephew, your niece, they're going to get married one day. And, and you at this stage of their life, are determining which pond they're going to fish out of. Good word. I'm just saying, right? My daughter is going to marry somebody out of our church. He's probably not here yet. He better not be here. <laughs> She's 11. Leave her alone. But... My daughter's going to marry somebody out of Celebration Church. My son's going to marry somebody out of Celebration Church. My kids' best friends are going to be from Celebration Church. And, and if they're not, um, they're, they're in our circle one way or another. They're, they're a part of a sister church. I mean, this is the pond you fish out of. This is where you fish. And, and we're going to teach you how to think. And we're going to teach you uh, how to be in love with Jesus here. Um, so they're able to say all the things that uh, you probably say, but if someone else says it, it's real. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Parents, you know exactly what I mean. 
um, if someone else says it, oh, it's Bible. You've been saying it for, for 15 years, but it goes through one ear and out the other. So we have someone else say it, someone that looks cool with a little mohawk or whatever. All of a sudden, it's truth then, right? So we're going to unpack it. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, just so you guys know um, a little bit about uh, the Bible, something maybe some of you don't realize. Do you guys uh, remember when you were in high school or in college your English teacher made you uh, have a book of, of poems or a, a book of stories. And in that big literature book, there's just like hundreds and hundreds of stories. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. It's like this thick book. And then you only have to read like three of the stories. And you're like, why do I got this big old book for these three stories? Um, in college, that book costs $180. I was like, are you kidding me? Do you know what I'm talking about? In high school, it's the same way. You got this book, and it's a whole bunch of the greatest stories or the greatest poems. Now, here's the question. Are those poems and stories, are they great because they're in that book? No. They were great before they were in the book, right? So they compiled these great books and put them in one book. The Bible is the exact same way. There were several different books that were great unto their own, and they compiled these books into one. These books, for instance, the book of law. There's a book. It's the, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of law. Uh, the book of history. The book of wisdom. Now, the book of wisdom is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. That was its own book. Major prophets, minor prophets, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's its own book. Actually, it's four books inside of one book. Um, the general epistles, the Pauline epistles, only the epistles that Paul wrote, the apocalyptic books. So you take all of these 66 books that were great by themselves and you canonize them, which means you got this standard that it, these books have to meet this standard and they put them within one book so we don't have to walk around with 66 books. We carry one book and the 66 are inside here. But they were great before they were in this book. Does that make sense? So the, the, the book that we're going to study right now is the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it was written by Solomon, King David's son, uh, in, in 10th century B.C. Now, the Ecclesiastes, you can sum up the entire book with this thought. It talks about the meaning of life and what is important in life. The meaning of life and what's important. So uh, let's, let's unpack it. Uh, this is a fun book because 30 times this guy talks about, he actually says the words, under the sun. So appropriately, we're going to title the message, Under the Sun. And uh, this guy, Solomon, history says he was the wisest man to ever live. Uh, I heard uh, that the Queen of Sheba, this is in a different uh, historical book, not the Bible, but the Queen of Sheba showed up and said, um, I want to know how wise you are. So she showed up with, with two 
um, plants. They had roses on them. And she said, one of these plants is fake. The other one is real. She goes, I just want you to tell me which one's fake and which one's real. And according to history, uh, he brought in, when you're the king, you can do this. He had his servants go out and bring in a box of bees. And he watched to see where the bees went. So that's brilliant. Waste, I would have just touched it myself, but he had to show off. Um, but he's just brilliant. He's the, the wisest man to ever live, and most say that he was also the richest man to ever live. And so if we're going to go into 2016, let's learn from the wisest man to ever live, obviously aside from Jesus. So let's dive into it. I love the way he writes. Watch, how, watch this. Um, it, it's like you want to read his book, but you don't want to be friends with him. Listen to this guy. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Does anyone have anyone in their life like that? There's just They know how to be negative really good. Don't point at anybody. Just... <laughs> They know how to be negative really good. Um, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises, the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around, around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Now, I'm going to talk about four heart issues that Solomon brings up. Right here, he's talking about rewards. He's basically saying, what's the point I don't know if you've ever crossed that bridge before. I know I have. What is the point? Generations have lived before us, and guess what? We're going to die too. Why work so hard? It's interesting, his choice of words. He says this. He goes, he goes, the, the, uh, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? He emphasizes under the sun. When I read those words, I thought, why did he point under the sun out? And I just got to thinking about it. I don't know when was the last time you've worked under the sun. Um, I've worked under the sun a lot last summer. Um, and when I get done mowing the grass, weed eating and edging and trimming and killing ant beds. I've sneezed a million times. I've got grass all over me. Uh, my nose is like the size of a banana because I have allergies. Uh, I've got rock bits that jumped up and hit me while I was weed eating. I've got these big goggles that I wear while I weed eat. You ought to drive by sometime, you'll just laugh at me. 
Uh, I've got this like a towel that's been soaked in water around me. And then when I get done, I'm doing everything I can to keep a headache from hitting me. Do you know, has anyone been outside like that before? And you're just like, you have this feeling of don't talk to me, don't look at me. Uh, I don't like existing right now. Don't don't look at me, don't talk to me. I, I just need some time. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and when I read that, it was like he was talking about that person who feels that way. Not necessarily a person who works out in the sun, a person who feels a certain way, a person who feels like this. I've had a day that's equivalent to 12. It's Monday, but it feels like Friday. I am so drained. I am so tired. I am so stressed. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Did I come a little closer to home that time? Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. It's been a hard day. And so he's saying, you take all of that emotion and all of that stress, all of that being tired and, and weary and, uh, and go, what's the point? It's all meaningless. All of that work, all of that stress. He's basically saying, where has it gotten you? Don't you feel encouraged tonight? Aren't you glad you came to Celebration Church? We're here to celebrate the meaningless of life. No, that's what he's saying. He's saying all the stress, all of that, all it's where does it get you? And it's an interesting point. It's a very interesting point, and I feel like it forces the question: what would make you feel? fulfilled because now we know what doesn't right we know what does not make us feel fulfilled and that's feeling toiled and stressed and overwhelmed so all of those things that cause that that clearly does not make us feel fulfilled so what does everybody just think for a second and answer it if you're taking notes i want you to write it down what does make you feel fulfilled? When are you your happiest? When are you your happiest? You know, um, I was at uh, Phil's house last year for, I don't know why I was there. Phil, why don't you stand up so everybody knows what I'm talking about. And... Uh, if you haven't met Phil, you need to meet him because then you'll know who the other Italian is in Texas. Um, uh, is there any other Italians in, in here? Yes! We're growing, Phil. We're growing. We're growing. Um, if you're visiting, you must become a member. Okay. <laughs> I was at Phil's house, and, and, and Phil uh, and his wife, they have, um, uh, they have this theory that their kids are going to hang out at someone's house. That's just the facts of the matter. You guys have four, right? Their kids are going to hang out at someone's house. How old are your kids again? 19, 17, 13, and 11. So he knows his kids are going to be hanging out somewhere. And so his 
theory is, if they're going to hang out somewhere with their friends, I want them to hang out here. So you want to be with your friends? I understand you want to be with your friends, so invite your friends here. Now, in theory, that sounds beautiful. In practice, it's chaotic. So you got 19, 17, 13, and 11, and each of them, let's just say they have one friend each, which is not the case. I've been over there a few times because my daughter is 11. She's one of the bunch. I'm just telling you, the whole neighborhood is at his house. They don't even ring the doorbell. In, out, in, out. Parents, in, out. They don't even ring. They just walk in. They open up the refrigerator. They grab stuff. I'm sitting there going, hey, that's not your refrigerator. <laughs> I'm like regulating things. Hey, that, those aren't your cupcakes. Oh, wait, did you ask? Did you ask for that? Excuse me, did you say thank you? I'm like, hold on a minute. Can you bring that dog? That's not, you can't bring the dog in the house. What's going on around here? Hey, 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 get your feet off the furniture. This is his house. The whole neighborhood is in his house. I came back a few months later, it happened again. Like, what is going on? He goes, and, and, and I watch him. I watch him walk around, and I watch his wife Alyssa walk around. They both walk around in shorts, boat shoes, and a shirt hanging out. And, and it's almost like they're not even walking. It's like they're just kind of gliding. They're just, you know... He's got this Italian swagger to him, you know? And, and she's Italian, too. They're both from, from Queens. And so uh, <laughs> I, like, I like messing with them. Where are you from again? The Bronx. The Bronx. The Bronx. The Bronx. So I like messing with him. He's from Rhode Island. He's like, no. Um, so, but you just watch him, and he just kind of floats around because he is most fulfilled when he's got his whole family around him. Why is this so important? Because Solomon, the wisest man that's ever lived, is saying in our vernacular, how many hours are you putting in at work? How many hours are you putting in on the road? How many hours are you working at home? How stressed are you? How toiled are you? How worn out are you? And where's it got you? Now, I know we all got to work. We all got to put bread on the table. But we need to look at the wisest man who's ever lived and back up and say, what does make me laugh? What does make me smile? And what makes you laugh and what makes you smile, that is your reward here on earth. It does not get better than that. So don't let the enemy steal your laughter by getting you to be consumed with toil work. What makes you laugh? I want you to, if you're sitting next to somebody, I want you to just lean over and, and just tell them what makes you laugh. See, actually don't do that because I think that some of you don't know what makes you laugh anymore. <laughs> you're like, that bald-headed guy makes me laugh. How many of you, you can raise your hand and you're like, I, I know what makes me laugh. I know what I enjoy. Uh, go ahead, raise it up real high. Yeah, I know what makes me laugh. What is it, Omar? Family? 
looking at Isaiah probably makes you laugh, right? It's like, <laughs> that's it. Raise your hand if you know exactly what it is. What is it, Crystal? Your kids. She has three beautiful kids. Beautiful kids. Your grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. What about someone else? Just shout it out. My baby. Your baby? And she pointed to her husband. Get a room. You got to know what makes you laugh. (laughs) Know what makes you laugh. Know what makes you smile. (laughs) She said she makes herself laugh. And oddly enough, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) The second thing that he tackles is found in verses 9 through 11. He says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. (laughs) Thanks, bud. I'm feeling great. My goodness. He's the wisest guy to ever live, but man, he needs to get on Paxil or something. The guy's depressed. (laughs) Don't email me if you didn't like that joke. (laughs) And so when I read that chunk of scriptures, I back up and just say, hey, man, the guy's looking for significance. So, so first of all, in that first chunk of scriptures, I, I, I just I thought to myself, he, he's looking for some type of reward. You're working all the time. What's the reward? In, in this passage of scripture, I feel like he's looking for significance. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to feel like my life is significant. Do you know what I mean? Significant. I looked up significant just to make sure that my mind was going in the right direction. Here's the definition of, of significance, to feel valued, that you're, you're valuable, your opinion is valuable, your presence, you being here is valuable, it, it, I'm, it's important that you're here, it's in, everybody needs to have that sense of significance, Because here he is, he's the richest man, the wisest man to ever live, and he's backing up and he's going, I don't feel significant. No one's even going to remember me. I don't remember them, and they're not going to remember me. I don't remember who used to live 100 years ago, and 100 years ago, they don't remember me. Five years ago, 10 years ago, it's just a bunch of rocks called tombstones. It just keeps on happening. He's saying significant. You know, men and women uh, feel significance in different ways. Uh, Women want to be loved. They need to be loved. Men need to be respected. Now, don't argue with me and say, well, I'm a woman and I need respect too. R-E-S-P-C-T. No. I know, I, I know you need respect, but I'm just talking about at the top of the food chain, all right? Men want to feel loved too, but at the top of the food chain, 
It's, it's respect. Why is that? It's actually in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, it says this, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Um, when, when God created man and woman, he created them in a different way. Um, when he made man... He put his hands into the ground and pulled man out of the dust of the earth. Everything that God has ever created goes to its source for strength. And so physically and emotionally, we need to feel like we are conquering something. On this earth. We need to feel like we are doing something good. We're doing we we can kill we can kill this. We we can crush it. We are good at this. Every man needs to feel that. Women were not pulled out of the earth. So they don't have to feel good about doing awesome at that. That's, that's not at the top of the food chain because they weren't pulled out of the ground. Where was a woman pulled out of? Out of a man. And so when a woman, what she needs the most, that's her source. So she needs a man to say, I love you. I love you. You've got to feel that. They're two totally different things. Um, now, I, I feel a, a, an elephant in the room about the size of the Grand Canyon. Um, there's seasons of life where you don't need it. Seasons. Um, for example, um, my mother-in-law was married for 13 years. And she will be just happy if she never gets married again. That chapter. But what's interesting is that she still needs to feel valued. It just has to come in a different way. Because she doesn't want to get married ever again. And I understand that. There's four things that every person, whether you are a male or a female... You've got to have to feel significant. Number one is that sense of security. You just got to feel that sense of security that, that everything is going to work out. Number two, you got to feel that sense of progress. Things are progressively getting better. When, when you feel like things aren't getting better, oh my goodness, you, you just... You just want to give up and go eat bluebell every day, all day. Number three is you need to feel connected. You've got to have relationships. I was driving down the road, um, it had to have been 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And I actually said out loud, I was in the car by myself, and I said out loud, I don't need anybody. The minute I said that, I started crying. I'll never forget, I just started crying. 
And I realize that I'm trying to convince myself of that. Uh, number four is philam. <laughs> I've really never been able to say this word. Philanthropy. Did I say it? <laughs> Close enough, yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. Uh, every person has to feel like they are contributing towards making someone's life better. If all four of those things are not happening, then the significance that you're longing for doesn't exist. Now, what's fascinating is that all four of them, you've got to find those areas in your relationship with God. Because if you don't, what will end up happening is you'll be investing into a relationship that shouldn't be in your life. There's something called divine connections, and then there's something called divine disconnections. I've had divine relationships, divine connections, where I know God put them in my life. And there's also divine disconnections where I know for sure God does not want them in my life. He wants them in heaven, but he doesn't want them in my life. Raise your hand if you're somebody in your past, you know for sure that that was a divine disconnection. That's why I haven't even finished my sentence yet. And you're like. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> Jennifer. That's it. That's it. You, you pray that I hear you saying hallelujah because when they were in your life, dear God, work it out. Then like 10 years later, thank you, Jesus. Are you with me? It's divine disconnections. So you got divine connections, you got divine disconnections. And what's scary is, is that if you don't have a relationship with God, when you go through those four areas and you need security, you'll try to build security wrong. You'll try to get that number in the bank account to be a little bit bigger, 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 and it's never big enough. Whenever you try to have progress, you'll try to get progress in the wrong area. You're going in the wrong direction. When you try to get connected, you'll get connected to the wrong people. Have you ever met somebody and they say, oh, I'm, I, I, this person, or this, blah, 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 and then you meet them and you're like, this is bad news. They can't see that. So important. And philan philanthropy, philanthropy, philanthropy. That, let me just get back to the Bible. The, the Bible says that the needy will always be among you. And so it, it's, it's, it would be incredibly frustrating to try to help people that God has you assigned to help these people. Um, number three, I want to talk about fear. He says this, I, the teacher, verse 12, was the king of Israel. I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I want to see everything under heaven. When you are the richest man on the planet and that's what you want to do, you can do that. 
He says this, soon I discovered, watch what he says about God. Soon I discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Boy, was that poetic. That was a poetic way of saying, God, I'm starting to think you're a jerk. That's a nice way of saying that. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless like chasing the wind. So now, what I feel like he's talking about is fear. There, he is afraid that God is not who he hoped he would be. See, how many of you probably have a hundred names in your cell phone? Go ahead, raise it. In your contacts books, you probably have a hundred. Come on, raise it up. Or you probably got a hundred. Raise your hand if you got at least fifty. Raise your hand if you're just not gonna put your hand up at all, doesn't matter what I say. <laughs> You know what's interesting is if on the way home tonight you get a flat tire, and you think, do I got, oh no, oh no, oh no. Chances are most of you will be able to change the tire yourself. But just work with me. Let's say you can. That list of 100 people in your cell phone just went down to two. Am I right? 98% of those people, you'll walk home before you call them. Right? Come on. You're only going to call about two of them because those two, you feel comfortable and they'll come. They will come help. Here's the question. Which percentage is God in is he the one that you have confidence in calling or not confidence in calling I got really sick the other night I don't know what happened I was sick cold sweats I'm up I went to the guest bedroom because I don't like I like to moan by myself <laughs> anyone with me I want to moan. I want to say, Jesus, take me to heaven. I, I don't want to eat my wife hearing all that. <laughs> I go in the guest bedroom and moan. I'm in the guest bedroom moaning, moaning. For, for two and a half hours. That's all I did for two and a half hours. putting pillows between my legs, pillows on top of my head, laying on the pillow, lay on my stomach, lay on my back, lay at the foot of the bed, lay sideways, lay everywhere, no covers, 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 not covers, covers. <laughs> music, no music. TV off, TV on, TV on, eyes closed, eyes open, TV off. <laughs> I lay it for three hours. It dawned on me that I did not ask God to touch me. I did not ask God to heal me. It dawned on me. And I asked myself, while I'm moaning, why not? And it pushed me into a corner. 
Is he in the 98%? Excedrin is in the 2%. Aspirin's in the 2%. Cold rag is on the 2%. These are all things that I really think will help me. Aleve is in the 2%. Why didn't I ask? Then I started soul searching. Did I not ask because I don't think he's going to fix me? Or did I not ask, here we go, because I don't want to set myself up for a disappointment. I don't want to ask because if I get a no, how am I going to deal with that? So I'd rather just not ask. How about we just keep this relationship, me worshiping you, and leave it right there? Because if I start asking for things and I get no's, how am I going to deal with that? You glad you came to church tonight? (laughs) So I'm laying there, and what did I do? I started moaning for another 10 more minutes. And so finally I said, God, I'm really hurting, and I need you to touch me. I don't know what happened next because I didn't think about that moment again until I woke up. And I looked back and I was like, man, I went to sleep pretty quick after that. I have a feeling he answered my prayer. I mean, I went to I mean, I stayed up to, for four hours, five hours, moaning around. And then all of a sudden, sleeping like a baby, Woke up, bright and shined, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I backed up and went, huh, boy, was that interesting. That was like, I'm going to be peeling that one back for weeks, <laughs> right? So, so here, here's the thing. The, the, the third point is fear. Are we afraid of what God will do? Are we afraid of what God won't do? Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, I got a feeling God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Do we not pray certain prayers because we don't want to get disappointed? There's a term for it, actually. It's called a Christian atheist. You believe in God. You just don't believe that God's going to do anything for you. And so what we do oftentimes is, I'm going to just worship you and praise you and honor you because I sincerely think you're wonderful and awesome and I thank you for dying for me. I'm just not going to ask for anything because I don't want to be disappointed. This area of fear is an area that you have two choices. First of all, you can just continue to go as you're going And I honor you for worshiping him anyway. But the Bible clearly says, you have not because you ask not. You say, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? You know, God dealt with me on that. I was praying for some miracles last year. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about all these other people that prayed and they didn't get their prayers answered. And so this thought came to my mind. I know they're Christians, and I know they're wonderful people. And they prayed for the same thing I'm praying for. They didn't get it. What makes me think I'm going to get it? This was last January of 2015. I'll never forget this. 
And I felt the Lord speak to me so clearly. He said, you let me deal with them. I've got them on a different track than I have you. Don't think about them. You just think about you. They are none of your business. You just worry about you. And so I was like, okay. Well, I got a few things I need to ask for that. <laughs> Can I just tell you, 2015 was peppered full of one prayer after the next getting answered. Boom, 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 boom. boom. Did, did I go 10 for 10? I don't know. I, I don't remember the no's. I remember the yeses. I'm all fired up this year because I got 2015 under my belt. Now I'm moving with some, I'm cooking with grease now. For all of the, you in the room that didn't pray anything at all, you're still right where you were. But don't be discouraged because the Bible says that he will restore the years that the canker worm stole. So God has the ability to take you where you are and fast forward you to where all of those years that you lost, you're able to experience in a condensed period of time. Turn up my monitors because I want to hear myself preach tonight. This is good. Uh, did you catch that? All three of you liked that. Thank you, Omar. The last point, comparison. This is what he says. He says this, he goes, I said to myself, verse 16, he goes, look, I am wiser than any of these kings. What's he doing? He's comparing himself. I'm wiser than any of these kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand. I saw it myself with my own two eyes that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief to increase knowledge only increases sorrow. What he's saying is, is he's going, look... I've, I've looked at all of the other kings and I've seen them all and, and I've learned from them and now I'm just, I'm more sorrowful than I was before I started looking at all of them. Do you want to know something interesting? Comparison is poisonous. If you compare yourself with somebody who's better than you in anything, you get depressed. If you compare yourself with someone that you're better than, you get arrogant. So either way, it's poisonous. You're either drinking depression or you're drinking pride. It doesn't matter. It's poison. And do you know that Satan is the ultimate bartender? He will serve you that drink several times a day. Several times a day. Tons. He will make you look at other people's physique, other people's looks. He will make you look at other people's business, where they're at in life compared to where you're at in life. He will serve you that drink over and over. And the wisest man to ever live drank the drink. 
Here's what I want to say on comparison. Anytime you find yourself comparing, just know Satan just walked in the room. He just walked in the room. Just walked in the room. You know, you never know the end of the story. You never know the end of the story. I remember when my mom left my dad. My dad had hardly no money at the time. It's a long story on why we were financially strapped, but we were just strapped. She ended up marrying his best friend, who's a multimillionaire. And we would go visit my little brothers and my little sister at their house. And he's got this big, huge house. And he had all these gold rings and jewelry and he had his initials and he had a, a fast sports car. And my dad had to pump the gas just to get it started. It was humiliated driving up. About five years later, the guy had pawned all of his jewelry and was calling my dad asking for money. My dad sent him money numerous of times to help him out. When you compare yourself to some, I just feel like I need to say this, to a spouse that your ex-husband or ex-wife left you for, you don't know the end of the story. And I'm not wishing bad on anybody. I, I, I don't want you to hear me say that. But what God has for you is so incredibly special, you will not wish to be back where you were. We don't need to wish bad on anybody. The, the fact of the matter is, is where God is taking you is so special that you would never want to be there anyway. I just want to let you guys know that this guy struggled with fear. He struggled with comparison. He struggled with significance. He struggled with these things. There's no reason why we should have to struggle with those same things. There's no reason for it.